0: Hey everyone, got a super awesome show for you today. I am talking with that yogi guy, Forrest Knudsen. Uh Forrest is probably my favorite uh, resource on YouTube uh, for, for anything about meditation. Uh, and as you can probably tell in this uh, interview, I'm a little bit giddy. I'm suffering from huge fanboy syndrome. Anyway... If you are curious about meditation and you want to know how to do it effectively and feel amazing, you're going to want to pay attention to Forrest. This is such a fun conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Pull up a chair and buckle up. It's the Original Strength Podcast. Uh, so Forrest, I told you uh, in an email uh, that you make Fridays better Um and you, you absolutely do. I, look, I so look forward to seeing your videos on, on YouTube. So thank you so much for the content that you put out there.
1: Thank you. I, I really love hearing that. You know, when, when, you, when you put something together and it's useful for somebody and they get something out of it, it's so fulfilling. It's so fulfilling. You, you know, and I, a lot of my desire to teach comes out of my own pain. You know the years of struggle with yoga and meditation because it's it's uh, it's really a Herculean feat to be able to meditate and get even if you get a little bit of success that's a Herculean feat you have accomplished a Herculean type feat and and I mean that I mean that literally the the uh, exploits of Hercules were actually meditative attainments so when he takes. The uh, and I just went over the body of myth uh, with. I, I mentioned recently the body of myth to a bunch of students, and they're loving it. And so, he explains beautifully that when Hercules takes the world from Atlas, he's actually you know he's actually taking. It's a reference to the spiritual eye, and uh, and the. And what can happen, this kind of magnetic sensation that can, that can take place for the yogi. So, so literally, when you get any kind of success in meditation, you have accomplished a Herculean-type
0: feat. Wow. You, you brought up um, your search or, or your path. Can you, can you just, can you do you mind sharing your story, like how you got started? I, I think you got started sure. pretty young.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, so... I grew up with these stories from my mom. She was meditating. What, what does your cup say? I want, to, I want to read it. Can I read your cup? Sure. Fearfully, fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> so um, while I was in my mother's womb, she was doing meditation. And she would have this vision. And then she would also have it as a dream. And she would see this monk, he had a shaven head. And, and he also had body armor. So he had Chinese style body armor. Uh, so like a Buddhist monk with body armor was climbing these steps. And every time she saw him, he was higher up on the steps. And at the top was this light. And he got closer and closer and closer. He made it into the light. And at that point I was born. And so I grew up with that in my mind. And then she was also reading, in my childhood, she was reading the exploits of Lobsang Rampa. And they were, had crazy stories about drilling holes in his forehead to see the spiritual eye. And uh, you don't need to do, don't, that's, that's <laughs> don't do that. That's not good. Don't, don't, need, to, don't need to do that at all. Um, I teach how to see the spiritual eye on my channel. So if that's something people are interested, just go see my channel and even ask me, like, can you do more videos on that? And I'll make more videos. You don't need to drill into your forehead or anything crazy. But anyway, I loved, I loved the stories. And it was just this other, it was always this other world in the background of my mind. And then in high school, I had a lot of uh, personal questions kind of a crisis moment and I reached into this reserve and started meditating and um, I had some little successes and then I read the auto. I I really had this feeling that there was a solid technique and I kept reading all of these books about imagine a flower flower is you know blooming and that was the whole meditation the whole chapter on meditation was just imagine a flower and it just wasn't fitting the bill for what i was looking for and then finally i read autobiography of the yogi and they were talking about kriya yoga and it was scientific and it was practical and you did it every day and i'm like this this is what i'm looking for this makes so much sense to me and i think that's you know there's so many There's so many variations of meditation which are available to people today. Uh, But but this was really a big deal to me. So I took the lessons. I went to Los Angeles. I met the monks and the nuns. I became a monk for five and a half years. I was there another extra two years. So altogether, it was like seven years of my life. And it it was really great. I learned quite a bit. And then I, there was a lot that was unfulfilled and I, I really didn't fit in because uh, they kept calling me the rebel monk. In fact, that's, <laughs> after I left, I found out they were still telling stories about me as the rebel monk, which I didn't feel that rebellious, but it was, I, I just, I didn't quite fit, you know, into the into the mold, into the box. And uh, so I left and I st- Later on, I wrote my book, Hacking the Universe. And then um, I started training with Ashok Singh, who had preserved the (laughs) Panchanan Bhattacharya lineage from Lahiri Mashaya. So another lineage of Kriya Yoga. So same Kriya Yoga, but slightly different lineage. And I just loved it. it. It was fantastic. And it all started fitting together. I was researching a lot of things like heart rate variability resonance. I went and I spoke with a professor who was doing some wonderful, wonderful work with heart rate variability resonance. So it it just a multitude of things just started fitting together. And when I got to the brain, so getting to the body, and, and some yogis, they really don't like this, right? Because they want to keep it very energetic and they want to keep it very uh, spiritual. But I like grounding it in the body because as soon as you do that, you get very practical results and you can gauge how well you're doing. So it's no longer, you know, I used to think because I, I studied a lot of martial arts. And I even studied a family samurai martial art for with uh with. Um, Dawn on Jay. And I, I absolutely loved it. And I always, I always thought it was so interesting that you could kind of, you know, you could BS your way with spirituality. You could say that something had happened that you weren't really quite that clear on at all. But with martial arts, you can't. You, you, you can either do it or you can't. You know, it's, it's a very, there's a litmus test there. And when you take the yoga and the meditation and you ground it into the body, so I talk about uh, the four proofs, right? That can happen in meditation. And that that really grounds your experience of what you're doing and it makes it very, very real. And so the students who follow this plan, they get really tremendous results very, very quickly. And they're like, why is this working? Well, it's grounded. And it's the the body itself becomes the biofeedback device. So that's kind of that's kind of my journey a little bit.
0: Wow. Um, so as my cup could suggest, I grew up Southern Baptist, so I didn't know, well, yoga was never mentioned. Um, and meditation was kind of something that like, that was something that we didn't do (laughs) for, for people like me or that were like me or whatever. Uh, can you, how do you define meditation? What is meditation? So
1: meditation, I'll, it, I'll make it super, super simple and super clear. Meditation is really three things. It is the dorsal vagal complex. So you are awakening that. And you use this every single night. When you sleep, you enter into the freeze response. And your body sh- uh, slows down, puts your body into the low idle state. And so your breath becomes very, very tranquil. You probably looked over at your partner or somebody you were sleeping next to. Maybe you had a sleepover once upon a time and you looked over at the kid next to you and you watched their breath and it seemed like they're barely breathing. Like I can't, are they breathing? I can't tell. That is the tranquil breath. And we're trying to get into that in meditation. And we're getting into the freeze response. The freeze response comes over the body in the night so that you can have a dream and you don't punch out and kick out and roll out of the bed and fall on your face every night. That would At be, least
0: you're not supposed to. <laughs>
1: that's Usually, right? Unless it's a very, very active dream. And then sometimes we kind of sneak out of the freeze response. But that is supposed to keep us safe while we're in the sleep, in the dream. And so the yogi experiences this as well. It's quite it's absolutely delightful. When you feel it come over you, it's these cool waves. And there's, multi- there, there's multiple ways that you can experience the freeze response. But the deepest one is that the, these cool waves wash through the body over and over again. It's blissful. And you end up losing the sense of your body. And that's all because of the freeze response. So that's the dorsal vagal complex. That's number one. Number two is the left amygdala. And this is how we're able to feel bliss, how we're able to feel joy, how we're able to feel inspired, and how we're able to feel pure love. So there's all kinds of love, but the unconditional, absolutely accepting love, that is from the left amygdala and it is projected down into the heart. That's how we feel it in the heart, but it comes from the left amygdala. And the last thing is the right hippocampus, and this is how we do spatial perception. So they did a study on New (laughs) New York taxi cab drivers, and they found that through all of that spatial computation, that the taxi driver had to do over and over again. And this was a a number of years ago when they did the study. So there wasn't as much GPS going on at that time. But even with GPS, if if you're driving a taxi and you're thinking about, well, I could go this way and I could go this way, that's all spatial computation. And they found that the right hippocampus was enlarged in all of these taxi drivers. So as a meditator, every time you touch on silence, and every time you touch on expansion and spaciousness or any time you were to pray and you pray to the infinite God, you are touching on the right campus. You're using that part of your brain and it's kind of a window into the divine. So the bliss is a window into the, the blissful nature of the divine and the right hippocampus is a window into the expansiveness of the divine and the, the dorsal vagal is all about be still and know. So that's the be still part, right? So we're actually following perfectly the, as it, as it is written, be still and know. And the knowingness comes from the right hippocampus The be still comes from the dorsal vagal. So you hear all these yogis talking about the spine, talking about the chakras. They're talking about be still. Every time they're talking about that, they're talking about be still, or they're talking a little bit about the heart and the throat and bliss, right? But the knowing comes from the right hippocampus. So that's the last part of, of the riddle, right? Be still and know. That knowingness comes in a very deep meditation. I have a video called the download phase. So I talk about what happens when you get, when your consciousness, Comes back into the brain. It's not down in the world attached to everything. It floats back up into the brain. And you reach this place where you feel like information or understanding is coming to you. You're receiving it from somewhere. It's coming to you. And that knowingness is flowing into you. And that's a download phase. So, in a nutshell, those three things are. All of meditation, I don't care what anybody is talking about in meditation, they all fit in those three categories.
0: And that is just one of the reasons why I love your videos so much, because you have a great way of taking, like, you can kind of hold aside the mystery and really make it more concrete, but you still beautifully combine, connect the spirituality with with the science like I I don't know you're just you do such a good job at that
1: oh thank you thank you yeah you, you can't ignore you can't ignore as a yogi you can't ignore either side or as a practitioner so if maybe you're not into the science but you've got to practice and that will make you a knower of the science or maybe you're not you know some people are like I'm just into the yoga I'm not so much into the spiritual side Well, as you practice, the spiritual side is going to come up. It's going to manifest. So you can't avoid it. So it's going, something's going to happen. And the paradigm that you hold is going to be pushed on. It's going to say something's going to come along and say, oh, this doesn't quite fit in your paradigm. You know, what are you going to do with this, right? It's like um, Ashok told me that uh, once you see the spiritual light, that the desire for things in the world can dramatically reduce and i would already been seeing the spiritual life uh spiritual eye for for years and this is uh, referenced in the bible um if thine eye be single thy whole body shall be full of light all right so so it's we're still talking the same crowd and so he was telling me i had been seeing it for years and i thought well You know, I'm not noticing a dramatic reduction in desire, but that's great. I I love, but imagine if you're going along and you think the world is one way, and then this light comes into your meditation, it's going to, to, to disrupt what you believe is real. And that's, that's a spiritual process. So both sides will, will come in as you practice over and over. So,
0: so Speaking of meditation, bit, wait, do you mind? Do you mind if I ask how old you are? You, you know, I have a hard time with
1: this. Um, I, I think I'm 40. When I was very young, my, I, asked, I kept asking my mother, how old are you? Because I kept forgetting. Then I'd come back and I'd ask her. And I think I asked her one too many times. And she goes, um, you never ask a woman her age. I'm like, whoa, okay, mom. And I just, I just dropped the whole notion of of age at that point and so I I was on the phone with my bank one time and they go I'm I'm 43 so I was on the phone with my bank one time and they go so how old are you and I'm like and they're like we don't think you are who you say you are because I couldn't give them my age really fast so that's I, I have a like a
0: mental block. No, and, that's, and I'm, that's I'm cool. okay
1: with the block, so I just leave it there. So <laughs> no,
0: I, I think that's great. Like to go through life really not knowing how old you are doesn't imprison you to knowing how old you are. Um, that's right. That's right. So, so we're roughly. Well, I'm a little bit older than you. So, and my, I, and my point to that question is, is though that when, in my understanding, or everything I had read prior to meeting you, um, and your, your information was that, well, I mean, if you're only 43, how the heck are you a meditation expert?
1: Right. Well, I uh, so so I did tell you my story, but I was actually in high school and I was traveling to L.A. to become a monastic while I was a high school student. And they the monks took one uh, Brother Satyananda was very sweet and very kind. But he took one look at me and I had written on the note. They said, you know, what do you want to talk about? You have to write it down. Right. So I gave him the I gave them the note. It said monastic vocation. Right. And so that slid across the table to him and he looked at the paper and he looked at me and, you know, you're just a kid, right? And he's like, you want to become a monk? What the hell do you want to do? And he, re- he really said that. He, what the hell do you want to do that for? And I was like, and i like, oh, I know what you're doing. You're trying to freak me out, scare me off, right? I'm like, well, I, you know, I, I just, uh, I want to meditate. I want, I want to find God. And he, he calmed down. He was very nice from that point. But I was super young. I, I was super naive, didn't know anything. And in another, in another, I finished high school half a year early just so I could join the ashram. Wow. And, yeah. And then I, so like in three years after that conversation, I was a monk. And so I was, I think I was 19 or 20 when I became a monk. And there was another, there was another monk um, that from Brazil who had beaten me. He joined the ashram at 15. But I, I, was, I think I was the second youngest to join the ashram. And so I started very young and, uh, and it was I, I got a lot of answers which I wrote a few of them in Hacking the Universe. So I had a number of answers but then when I started studying with Ashok, and it didn't, it didn't all come from Ashok. Now, he, he would give me the key, and then I had to figure out what the key meant. So for example, he explained that the Kriya breath is a very long breath. So the Kriya technique of meditation is a very long breath. Well, that translates into heart rate variability resonance. If you lower the amount of breath that you're breathing per minute, under seven breaths per minute. That's, that's the beginning of heart rate variability resonance. If you can lower your breath under that, so you're taking these very long breaths, that will begin to awaken the parasympathetic system. And so it's Dr. Geverts is the professor that, that is so amazing with heart rate variability resonance. He's been at the forefront with the other doctors. And by, so I watched him and he went with his students. He would go into meditation circles. So they, they would go into a yoga class and they would watch people in Savashana and they would go into Buddhist meditation classes and they would watch the people and count their breaths per minute. And without fail, the ones that had been doing the yoga or doing the meditation, the Buddhist meditation for 20 years or more, they all automatically went into a breath that was under seven breaths per minute. So that's meditation. That is the beginning of meditation. And if you're not doing that, that's why it's hard. That's why it's not working because you're not breathing slowly enough. So all of these meditations, which are very permissive. So they say, don't do anything, just watch the breath. That's a very permissive meditation. They're trying to lead you to this point where the body calms down and the mind calms down enough that you start naturally breathing under seven breaths per minute. But the way I teach it, I say, no, we're going to kickstart this and we're going to skip that first 20 years because all the students that were under 20 years were breathing very rapidly. So they're only getting a minuscule amount of the benefit compared to the seasoned meditators who, who intuitively understand that the body must go into a slow state and they slow themselves down, they automatically go into heart rate, variability, resonance. So I say, we're gonna start there. We're gonna skip that 20 year period. And that's why everybody has such great success. And for your listeners, you don't have to, to understand all of this because I made it so easy. All you have to do is go on my YouTube and watch the video, the Resonant Breathing app is here. And that will, underneath that, there are two links, one for Android, one for iPhone. Download the app, plug yourself into it. You don't have to understand anything. Just go through the app and you'll find the breath rate, which is comfortable for you. It's not a competition. You have to find the one which is comfortable for you, which you can do. And okay, this is good, I can do this. When that happens, you'll put yourself into heart rate variability resonance and boom, right away, you'll start feeling very calm. The calmness in the body reflects back on the mind. So the mind slows down and then the mind slowing down slows the body more. And so you get into this cycle of peace, right? It's kind of like a mirror. The, body's, the mind mirrors the body and the body mirrors the mind and back and forth you get this silence and it's peace.
0: And that that's why I was asking you, because you kind of bypass 50 to 60 years of frustrating practice, <laughs> you know, because like you're not gray, you're not uh, you're not 90. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so I was in the ashram and I started experimenting. I, I found this lesson by Deer Ananda and it was on. Uh, what? Meditation. Levels of meditation reflected in breath states. And he was describing how the air as it passes through your nose will shift as you meditate. I thought, well, that's just wild. Wow, that's, I've never heard that. What the, what is this? This is crazy. This is magic stuff. And I'm like, I have to figure this out. And so I sat down and I would feel inside of my nose every meditation. I'd even clean it out with a little bit of water. It makes it more sensitive. And then, um, I would feel in my nose and I didn't even have heart rate variability at this point. And I was feeling inside of my nose and it became a biofeedback device. And biofeedback is just amazing because whatever is inside of you, when it gets reflected or what, what is actually here, which is kind of our experience of life, we auto correct. We just, automatically correct on so many levels we can't even understand and that's what happened in my meditations they started auto correcting when they hit up against this breath inside of the nose and so i started feeling these shifts and then it would came faster and faster and what's happening is really wild when when you're when the body assumes that you are in a stress state it closes down the nose with the turbinates that are in there and it kind of you know you can imagine yourself You know, trudging through the desert, the nose has got to close down. That's kind of how we're trudging through life. We're just kind of closed down, like, okay, what's coming next? And then we get into the parasympathetic, and the turbinates say, "Oh, we're in a relaxed, comfortable, peaceful place. I can probably open up." And the turbinates kind of curl like this, and they open up the whole nose. So at the end of the, on my channel and in my book, I talk about the five breath states. At the end of those, the nose just feels like it's. it's totally open, like you've never been breathing before. And suddenly the nose is actually open for the first time in your life. It feels phenomenal. And that that means you're very, very deep into the parasympathetic. So that's kind of a step beyond the heart rate variability resonance. So I'd start with the heart rate variability resonance. But then if you get some of that, you get some of those four proofs and you're like, how far can I take this? Start experimenting with these breath states. And they're a little bit subtle. So not everybody has the patience to do this, but the ones who do, they're like, this is amazing. Because you start getting
0: really deep. So well, just the just your the 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 resonant breathing app alone is it is it's awesome. Um, and like so the big buzz in the health and fitness world, one of the big buzzes is heart rate variability because right. it's a it's an indicator of health. But really yes. the gateway there is is your breath. That's right. So, like, and everything about us is is really built on how we breathe. Um right. and you you actually had a wonderful video about the historical rate of breath, like throughout the last, I don't know, in the last hundred years of how fast yeah. we used to breathe versus how fast we breathe today. Right. And that was a very, very sobering, like those those stats that you brought up in that were sobering. So in today's world, do we breathe too fast? Do we breathe too much?
1: Yeah, I think. Well, if you look at the amount of of information that is flooding through us and and it's I I remember there was this great video a number of years ago where they were showing the amount of information that we get in a New York Times newspaper is almost the equivalent uh, of another, you know, a few generations back. That's the equivalent of everything they would read in their lifetime and and. It's way beyond that now because we have Facebook, we have Twitter, and you can't even consume all of the information. You have to pick and choose what kinds of information you're going to consume. And, and you know, everybody, it, you know, nobody wants to answer a phone call anymore because it's, it's just continual overload. And if that, if that amount of information ratchets up your breath, one breath per minute, it's huge. Just one extra breath per minute. And then you get a little stressed out. Something happens in your life. That's two breaths per minute. And then, you know, then your toddler comes in and and, and and crashes down, you know, something breaks, you know, that's that's three or four breaths or five breaths per minute extra than what you were breathing before. And then every time you stay ratcheted up and we don't clear out and let go, like spend a week in the mountains, you know, which would be I'm sure everybody can't do that, but would love to do that. Wouldn't that be great? Just, I'm I'm out of here for a month and I'm not coming back and I'm not answering my phone. Wouldn't that be great? But we don't. And so we don't get to kind of flush everything out. And so lowering the breath rate automatically puts you in that state. And as you do the heart rate variability over and over again, you'll eventually notice that your body and the subconscious start to figure out what you're doing. And you start walking around and you're like, oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in heart rate variability resonance while I'm walking around. And that's really magical in terms of longevity I, I, is, and they're so right. It, that's just going to increase your, your lifespan exponentially. Now, there's other factors, of course, what you're eating, what's going on in your life and everything, but just being able to lower your heart rate continuously through this kind of practice is, is magical.
0: Yes. Um, and again, if you're listening, do yourself a favor and get the resonant breathing app. It's free. It's totally it, free. Yeah. And it, uh, I give it to some of my clients that are, that are dealing with stress. Um, and I'll just tell him, you know, Hey, play with this, find your, find your rhythm, feel, feel find what's comfortable. And I had one, he's written me back and he's like, I, I don't, my blood pressure is, is completely normal and good now. Wow. And that was, that was the change was him breathing, you know, sitting down, breathing with the resonant breathing app.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. So amazing. I, I just love it. It's so fantastic.
0: So, can I ask you a, well, I don't know if you can answer this, but I think it would just be neat if you could. Um, yeah. What does bliss feel like?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so I have a meditation that I talk about. It's called acute baby meditation and it's such a wonderful window into bliss. And uh, so this actually comes from a, uh, it actually it's a Buddhist meditation, and that's where it comes from. And so I have to give them credit because it's just it's so easy and so amazing. And I, I'm sure they were using cats or or maybe a cute baby in the village. But um, it's so easy nowadays. You've got your phone, and you just put a cute baby in your phone, or you want to find a picture, which you look at it and you just go, oh. Ah. And if you want that, you want it to, to hit you right away. You see the picture, you just go, oh my God, it's so cute, it's killing me. That's, that's the feeling that you want. And then to practice the meditation, you just, it, maybe you're at work or maybe you're at home and you've got five minutes and you just look at the picture and you go, oh, and you just hold that feeling in your heart as long as you can. And you're actually creating a direct connection to your left amygdala. And you're actually strengthening. So every time you do it and you hold the feeling, and let's say you do that, let's say you do that five times in a row. So you look at the picture, you feel the feeling, you hold it as long as you can. Then you look at the picture, you feel the feeling, you hold it as long as you can. Let's say you do that three or five times in a row as your time permits. You're actually lifting weights for your left amygdala and the center of joy and bliss in your brain is actually getting bigger. It's actually, it's actually growing. Just like the taxi cab drivers that were doing constant spatial computation, their right hippocampus actually grew. It was huge. It actually weighed more. The, the right brain actually weighed uh, extra than the normal people because of that. And so your left amygdala will actually grow because of this. And that means your capacity for joy, and bliss and real unconditional love is actually growing in your brain. And so that's that's a great window into bliss. In the beginning when you're meditating, you're working with the, the heart rate variability resonance. You might feel a long, I, I talk about this proof, you're putting extra pressure on the dorsal vagal because of this long breathing. So the, the diaphragm lifts, and it compresses the, the cavity, of the chest. And that's putting extra pressure on the dorsal vagal. And so you might feel along the spine like a little ecstatic kind of tickle. And that's, and that's actually bliss. You're actually getting just a little tickle. And so you feel that and you're like, oh, it's nice. And then you feel that and oh, it's nice. You feel that all oh, it's night, nice. and you do that for a year, or let's say you do that for a month, you know, and then suddenly you'll feel this wave of that kind of ecstatic feeling, right? That kind of tickly, excited, joyful, ecstatic feeling. You'll feel a wave of that. And you're like, oh, that's bliss. And then you get it, right? And it was through the dorsal vagal connecting into eventually the left amygdala. So that's a little bit of what bliss is like. I think that's, I describe on my training that's on my website, it's called the Big Bliss Training. I describe an experience where I had a huge, unfiltered experience of the left amygdala and it was so much of that 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 it was crushing. It was actually crushing. And I describe it was like an avalanche. And so uh, imagine that feeling of bliss, but it is so much, you you get a little bit of that. You're like, oh, this is, wow, this is amazing, right? And then you get like more and you go, whoa, and then you get an avalanche. It's like, oh, I don't, I I, I wasn't sure if I was going to (laughs) survive. It was so big. It was so overwhelming. Uh, but you know so you kind of I squished it down to a trickle so it's not quite so much for me and uh, you have to be careful with the with the very big bliss you don't because it it will it will keep you in bed it's so overwhelming but that's kind of where so you hear these yogis talking about bliss that's kind of where they're headed with that but the beginning is right in the spine and just the cute baby that's enough you can begin to feel that and kind of figure out what this is so when uh, I know you want to say something, but St. Teresa of Avila, when she talks about ecstatic union, the prayer of ecstatic union, that's what she's talking about. She's talking about the same thing.
0: I uh, I watched your cute baby video and then I scoured the internet and put together a slideshow of the cutest babies I could find, human, canine, and cats, kittens. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny how it does just make you feel amazing. Yeah. Like and you you can't you like like and the pictures were so cute you can't I can't look at them without even smiling like it's like a it's like a test like because if I forget about them and flip through my phone and looking at old photos and I see those pictures it just Ah. instantly makes me smile and I'm like that stuff works
1: (laughs) (laughs) it it really does it's one of the best meditations I've ever seen and a, a lot of the meditations we're trying to get quiet enough where we can begin to perceive that. And the cute baby actually skips all of that and says, we're not even going to worry about that. We're just going to go straight to the awe and the bliss. And it's just beautiful. It really is powerful, powerful meditation. And so you know, if you're in meditation and you hear about bhakti yoga, they're doing that. They're doing the same process and they take a form of the divine and they look at the divine, they pray to that divine. They're trying to create that same connection to the left amygdala and the bliss that comes from that so that's that from the heart to to the form of the divine they're trying to create the same thing and so the cute babies just works really really fast and then later you could transfer that so you could transfer it to jesus christ or mother mary and start to create that same connection until you reach the point where you can think of that form of mother Mary or Jesus Christ. And instantly you get that same rapport that you were getting with the cute baby meditation.
0: So. Awesome. Forrest, if, if somebody wants to learn more, uh, say they want to learn more from you, wh- yeah. wh- what are the best paths that they can take? Perfect. So I
1: have a video that's on my channel. I, I think it's still the same, the main video on my channel. So you go right onto the channel it will say uh, start here for deep meditation. And that's a little progression into through, through some of the YouTube videos. So we start with heart rate variability resonance. We do some Hakala meditation, maybe some cute baby meditation. So those are three primary meditations that I have on my channel. And then if somebody still wants to go deeper then I have trainings, I have a tranquil breath training, and a big bliss training, and a talking now a new talking to the higher self training. So all three of those trainings are on my website, which is meditative all one word. And then uh, I also have a Patreon. So I have students who join me there. And I do satsangs, which are all so I, I do at least two satsangs a month. And they're both an hour so it's a great way to to have have a back and forth and get your questions answered and grill me with questions Uh, so it's it's really fun and it's beautiful beautiful community
0: awesome I will put those in the notes of the show for everyone to tap into Awesome. Uh, and last question I think maybe do you like peanut butter
1: Oh, I love peanut butter.
0: <laughs> I knew we were buddies.
1: I knew it, right?
0: <laughs> I knew it. Um, crunchy or creamy?
1: Uh, you know, I like both. Sometimes I like creamy. Sometimes I like a little bit of. Meat. You got to have a little nut in there. Sometimes. It's nice to have a change every now and then. <laughs> that's right. But I am gluten free, so I like it on gluten free bread now. So,
0: right on. I, yeah. I I like it by the spoon uh, and on anything. <laughs> I'm not really partial of what I put it on. Oh, that's um, so great. Awesome. Hey, thank you so, so much. Uh, it, guys, if you were, if you were curious, you need to check out Forrest's YouTube channel. Uh, if you, you will not find anyone else that is more joyful uh, and that is sharing information just for the pure joy of sharing. Uh, that is why I love your channel so much because the amount of joy that you exude is contagious and it doesn't matter (laughs) what you're talking about half the time to me like i just i get just sucked in by how happy you are and because it's so genuine so thank you so much for for all the trainings you put out there and and thank you so much for for sitting down with me today
1: oh thank you so much for having me you were a joy anytime you want to do this again you let me know right
0: yes sir thanks for listening everyone now get outside and play